So normally I get a good morning, Mr. President, from a bunch of kids, except Justin's kids. A couple of them will usually yell it as loud as they possibly can, and that, that kind of evens things out a little bit. But, but last time I taught Sunday school, Justin's kids were on vacation, so it was mumbles all around. It was really it's tough, tough when they're not there to boost the volume, you know. So we finished John last week, the Gospel of John. That's why I have this up here. Gospel of John, we, we started it, 7-22-18. We finished it, 7-18-21. So pretty much exactly three years. And that's pretty neat. And uh, it got me thinking about 2018, what was going on in 2018. And, you know, I had to do a little, little search because, you know, my memory's not always the best. What, was, what were the important events of 2018? So way back in 2018, the nation was divided. Do you guys remember this? William, maybe you can remind them. He's got it queued up for me. Laurel. 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 Okay, Laurel. that's enough. <laughs> so everyone was trying to figure Laurel. out, are they saying Yanny or Laurel? I, I hear Yanny. I don't know how you guys, I, I hope you do, because I don't understand how anyone hears Laurel there, but I'll take your word for it if you do. So that, that, was, that was, of course, the biggest thing in 2018. <laughs> we also had, you know, A Star is Born, Mason Ramsey yodeling in Walmart. <laughs> that was 2018. The movie A Star Was Born is also, is, was also that year, but this is the star I'm thinking of all the way. And then, uh, last but not least, the Red Sox won the World Series in 2018. And may, maybe, uh, maybe history is repeating itself right now as we speak. Could be another World Series year. So, you know, I went through 2018, and I had to, I had to look through a lot of garbage to find those three things. You know, if those three things... Are, are the best things I could think of, you know, not trivial things, not big world history events, but, I, you know, I looked through a lot of the lists that just were full of uh, celebrity babies and all this kind of nonsense, and that's what I could find for 2018. 2019 was even worse. I didn't even have anything that good from 2019. So, <laughs> so let's, let's stop right there before we go recapping 2019. Uh, and instead of thinking about things, you know, on the internet, maybe we could think about, you know, our own lives, things that happened over the last three years in our own lives. And, uh, you know, I think about my own life and I, I think you know, three years ago, my daughter Violet was nine months old and now she's almost four. That's math for you right there. Three years and nine months. Okay. So she's almost four. And in those three years, I've, I've learned an awful lot about uh, tea parties and princesses. <laughs> Did, did any of you guys know that Rapunzel from Tangled is making a cameo in the first few seconds of Frozen? Did anybody else know? Now I know. You know? Oh, Zeke and William knew. <laughs> Ethan knew. Good, good. Okay. Some of you knew. I know. I didn't know that before the last three years. Okay? So, so my daughter's growing up. She's getting bigger, and we've had a lot of fun with all that kind of stuff. Uh, my, my other daughter, Nora, was born last year, so she wasn't even on the way when we started John, and now she's walking around, getting into all kinds of stuff. She's a little maniac. Uh, I taught two kids how to drive, almost, and I, uh, I only have a bit more gray here and here to show for it. My oldest son graduated high school a few weeks ago. 
so it's been a busy three years, you know, and, and I'm sure that some things have happened in your lives as well over the last three years, you know, unless you're, unless you're sitting here thinking, um, well, I, I finally called Geico and saved 15% by 15 minutes there, and then I, I got a new shirt, and uh, I switched shampoos, and <laughs> that's, that's a big decision. Don't downplay it if that's what you're thinking right now over the last three years, but you know, I know for a fact that more than that has happened in all of your lives. You know, uh, there's been much bigger events than that. We've all faced some, some great things and some difficulty over the last three years, especially this last year and a half that we've been through. Uh, I don't even want to get into all of that, of what we've been to over the last year and a half, some of us more than others, you know. Um, but today is our first potluck since last year. That's, that's fantastic. That's great news. So... We, we've had to deal with, you know, having our time together as a church family limited over this time. And that was a tough thing to go through. And, you know, to, to get some of that time back is really something I'm very thankful for. So, so today, potluck. You know, and, and in each of your lives, I'm sure there, I, I know for a fact that many of you have had good things and difficult things happen. Some of them we've all shared together as a church family along with you. Uh, and, you know, think, looking back over these three years myself, I think it's just, it's good once in a while to, to look and see that God's been with us every step of the way, like Amber was just talking about, you know, that, that he's, he's there with us, and we, we can see that he was there through all of that, through every good and bad thing that we went through over the, the last three years, you know. And so we can be thankful, we can be reminded that, that he'll still be with us going forward, you know, and we, we can just remember that he's faithful, by looking back that way. And we could just trust that he's going to continue to be with us going forward. So, good to look back at silly things, but at important things too. Um, so all that time we were in John, three years in John, and that might seem like a long time to spend on one book, but there's just a lot to cover there, isn't there? I mean, it's, it's one of, you know, the whole Bible is important, but John is, is like a, chap, a book that, you know, everyone you know, really needs to study, you know, to, to look at Jesus and his life, uh, all of the Gospels, but John uh, really is one that uh, people seem to gravitate towards just because of uh, the way that he wrote it. Um, we've been, we did a couple detours along the way, a couple one-off lessons, I think, but, you know, to be just looking at John for three years, that's, that was really uh, awesome. And, you know, we could start over again right now in John and learn even more stuff if we just start over. So why don't we all turn to John chapter 1? I'm serious. Let's turn to John chapter 1. We're not starting over. I, I, I'll tell you that. We're not starting over, but I am serious about turning there. John chapter 1. I joke a lot. I understand why you thought I was joking. But <laughs> John chapter 1. I'm going somewhere with this. Don't worry. I didn't just write down Pastor Rich's sermon from three years ago and, you know, add a couple jokes to it. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now keep that in mind. John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John plainly stated the purpose of his gospel here. His gospel was written well after the other three gospels. Did you know that? They weren't all written like on the spot while uh, the events were happening. This isn't like John's diary. He wrote this much later. Uh, And he wrote it later than any of the other gospel writers, even after the uh, other writers, Luke and Mark, who were getting secondhand accounts from the other apostles. You know, so he wrote his much later. There were already three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, and he wrote his. But his purpose for writing this fourth Gospel is clearly stated. So that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote it. You know, his Gospel is different. We can all see that if we've looked at all four of them. It's different, but not contradictory. It's got a different style, a different emphasis. Some miracles, John keys in on the... And just the seven of them where the other Gospels try to give a more complete account. Um, So because of his stated purpose, that by believing you may have life in his name, I think that's why this is the Gospel that we give to new believers. This is the Gospel that that we would recommend a non-believer to read. You know, if we want them to, to read one book of the Bible, we would say the Gospel of John. Because his purpose is that by believing you may have life in his name. Now in John chapter 21, he finishes, verse 25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would, have been, would be written. So we were just talking about our last three years. Is it safe to say that John had an eventful three years? The most eventful three years in all of history, right? Including the most eventful three days in all of history when Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected on the third day. John was there for that. You know, it's an interesting coincidence that we're talking about our last three years reading John and that John spent three years with Jesus during his ministry. Spending time with him, listening to him, joining in his ministry as one of his closest disciples, one of the inner circle of the apostles. Yet it took until Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came for John and the other apostles to really fully, almost fully as a person can understand, to understand what Jesus had just done. You know, they were with him all that time, but we saw again and again that they were confused at times, just like we are, right? You know, they, they didn't always get it, what Jesus was saying. It was a little too deep for them. They needed some help, and the Holy Spirit gave that help to them when it came. So then, with the benefit of the Holy Spirit and with the benefit of another 55 or 60 years of following Jesus, that's when John wrote his gospel. You know, if you can think about that, 55 or 60 years later, John wrote his gospel. So he had all that experience and all that time spent, you know, with with the Holy Spirit and, and doing God's work, and then he wrote his gospel. Now here we have the big reveal, where I'm going with this. You know, why am I talking about everything we already talked about? Drum roll, please. The next thing we're going to be studying, our next book, 1 John. Yes. (laughs) 1 John. 1 John is not a prequel, just so you know. (laughs) It's not John episode one, and Jar Jar Binks will not be making an appearance in it for all you Star Wars fans out there. It's, his, it's called First John, 
even though it doesn't come first, because it's his first epistle, his first letter, not the first thing he wrote. Though it is estimated that he wrote it around the same time, general time period that he wrote his gospel. You know, he wrote this letter and the gospel around the same time. The gospel looked back many years, like I said, 55, 60 years to his time with Jesus, where this letter addressed people in, in the present uh, that he was currently talking to. So that's interesting. It was probably written between A.D. 85 and A.D. 90, according to the Life Application Study Bible. It's not addressed to a specific church, but only to dear children, dear friends, dear brothers. He was close to the audience. He knew them. He spoke as one with authority in their fellowship, not as an outsider, as we'll see. Now, by this time, some history, Jerusalem had been destroyed in AD 70. Believers had been scattered throughout the known world. John was possibly already the only surviving apostle at this point, quite possibly. All the others had been martyred, but he had not yet been exiled to the island of Patmos. You know, Christianity had existed for more than one generation at this point. And the people that he's speaking to already seem to have been believers for quite some time. So the problems they faced in this time, they had false teachers trying to twist the truth and uh, add new ideas to the original teachings of Jesus and his apostles, false doctrine. Another issue, some believers after this gener first generation uh, had passed it along to their children and so forth. Uh, some believers were conforming more to the world rather than living a life set apart for God. Do those sound familiar at all to you? Do we have to deal with false teaching? Do we have to deal with uh, con conformity to the world? You know, a, a lukewarm uh, following of Jesus? Now, what were John's purposes in writing this letter? James Boyce writes that in his gospel, the purpose was to lead those who were not Christians to faith, while in his first epistle, his purpose is to lead those who already believe to a deeper understanding of the faith and to confidence in that which they already possess. Now, Boyce goes on to state the primary objective of this letter is Christian assurance, to be sure, to be sure of what we have in Jesus the eternal life we have in him. And he also said that John lays out tests that we can put ourselves through to see, are we really believers? Are we really following Jesus? Do we really have eternal life? He also takes the time, like I said, to refute false doctrines, such as Gnosticism, which we'll talk about briefly. And he encouraged believers to love one another. So those were the, what Boyce said were the purposes of this letter. Warren Wearsby breaks it down a little differently. He said that we may have fellowship, that we may have joy, that we may not sin, that we may not be deceived, and that we may know that we are saved and have eternal life. Now, these two commentators, you see a lot of overlap there. It's not that they disagreed with each other. It's just that they organized their thoughts differently. So as we study 1 John over you know, the next year, or two, maybe. There's five chapters there. I don't think it's going to take us three years, but maybe ten months, a year. We'll have to ask Pastor Rich. He's the one who really drives the bus on that. Um, 
see how long it takes us. But as we study it, you know, keep an eye out for those themes. Many here in this room, like the audience of the letter, have been believers for some time. But I think no matter how long you've been a believer, we can all benefit from, from what John has to say uh, as we seek to know God better by reading his word. So, that's my intro. You know, that, let's, let's actually get to reading the book today, right? You know, you've, you've heard my jokes, you've heard my introduction. So now we can start reading. <laughs> Verses 1 and 2 of 1 John. You can turn there if you haven't already. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now do you guys see why I have went back and read John 1.1 1, 1 first? There's a lot of similarity there, isn't there? John doesn't start his letter by introducing himself or greeting the people that he's talking to. He jumps right into it, goes straight to the matter at hand. Uh, so, you know, of course, when you don't list your name at the beginning of the letter or the end of the letter or mention your name any time in the letter, then there is, of course, some question, did John write the letter? There's a lot of historical proof that he did. And, of course, we can see that the style is just so similar between the Gospel of John and 1 John that it's really easy to believe, yes, this is, this is a letter from John. There's, there, I could get into a whole bunch of other stuff that shows that he wrote it, other people who quoted him, that kind of stuff, but take my word for it. John wrote the book. You can tell. Now, he's speaking about the Word. The Word is Jesus himself, of course. He is the word of life. He is the logos in the original Greek. You know, we've talked about logos before, haven't we? Logos, David Guzik says of this, for the Jew, God was often referred to as the word because they knew God perfectly revealed himself in his word. For the Greek, their philosophers had spoken for centuries about the logos, the basis for organization and intelligence in the universe, the ultimate reason which controls all things. It is as if John said to everyone, this Logos you have been talking about and writing about for centuries, well, we have heard him, seen him, studied him and touched him. Let me now tell you about him. It's similar to what Paul said when he uh, was commenting to people about their uh, idol to the unknown God. He said, let me tell you about the unknown God that you don't know about. I know him. Just as John began his gospel, he begins his letter referring to Jesus as the Word. He describes Jesus as the Word of life. In the gospel, he further elaborated in verse 4 of chapter 1, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Word, life, light. Three of John's favorite words, right? Shouldn't they be three of our favorite words as well? Having referred to Jesus, he goes on to state his qualifications as an eyewitness. There are four ways that John says he interacted with the word of life, with Jesus. He heard him speak 
with his ears. He saw him with his eyes. He looked at him and he touched him with his hands. Now we lose something in translation. We say, well, he said, saw him with his eyes and looked at him. Aren't those the same thing? Yes and no. I'll I'll get to that, what the difference is uh, in the original words. But first, let's talk about that he heard him speak. Many instances in the Gospels record the words that Jesus spoke and the reactions of people who heard him speak. Mark 1.22 says, we find, there, there we find, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Matthew 13.54, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. When he calmed the storm in Matthew chapter 8 with a rebuke to the wind and the waves, verse 27 said, The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And he spoke in such a way that when the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him at one point in John chapter 7, they returned empty-handed and they said simply, No one ever spoke the way this man does. One more. One of my favorites. John chapter 6, when many had turned away from following Jesus, his teaching was too hard for them. He asked the twelve if they were leaving too. Verses 68 and 69, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have the words, you have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke with wisdom. He spoke with power and he spoke the words of everlasting life. And John heard him speak those words. He can testify to that. Those reading the letter likely had never heard Jesus speak. As I said, it had been quite some many years since Jesus had had ascended. People had passed away. John was old. John the elder. But they could hear from John what Jesus' words were. And they could hear him say, I heard him say this. I heard, I saw what Jesus, and then he went on to give other accounts. But he heard him. He heard what Jesus said. And we have his words written in, our, in the word of God. We have, we have the recorded words of Jesus. So we can hear him speak still, still today. Now, John said that he had seen Jesus with his eyes and also looked at him. Like I said, it seems redundant, but it's not. The first see... Get your, get your Greek scholar hat on right now with me. The first C is the Greek horeo, which can mean seen with understanding, seen and scrutinized or studied. This one he uses three times in this, this little section that we're looking at today alone. The other one looked at is, sorry, that's a, I jumped ahead there. We'll get to that. Theomai, that means looked at. That can be to behold, look upon, view attentively. So those were two different things to John, you know, to look attentively, to study and see with understanding. Like I said, see with understanding is the one that he uses more often. He repeats it three times. And if you look back to when John used this word before, it was when he and Peter ran to the empty tomb. At first, Peter saw, uh, John saw with another verb. He saw as he got there. He just saw. He looked. But then, once he had gone inside and seen the empty grave clothes, he, then he saw with understanding. Then he, horeo, saw. It's like the light bulb went on for him at that point. 
saw that Jesus had risen, saw that we had hope of eternal life. He saw and believed at that point. It's interesting what we can horeo when we look at the words, right? <laughs> we can see with understanding. If we look at the words that somebody else looked at and then I told you about it, then we can, we can understand it, <laughs> the Greek. That's, that's the reason for getting into all the translations and everything, is just so we can understand better. So he saw in the most basic sense what Jesus was able to do, but he also saw with understanding that only God could do the things that Jesus did. He saw with understanding who Jesus was. The Son of God, the Savior of the world. God himself. So we need to make sure that we see with understanding as well, don't we? You know, it's possible when we spend our time in our studies at home or in our time in here, it's possible for us to just see in the most basic sense, see what the words are on the page, right? But if we don't take the time to see and understand what God's trying to say to us, then we're missing out. You know, it's possible to come here on a Sunday and listen to the message in a disinterested, robotic kind of way, go through the motions. Not when Pastor Rich is teaching, of course, no. More, more like when I'm here. But <laughs> he's back there. He's here. Here's me. But... uh we get easily distracted. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our mind is part of our, our, our flesh in that way. That Our mind is weak and we get distracted and we zone out or, or we have trouble focusing and understanding what we're hearing. Um, so what do we do? How do we get focused? Do we do quadruple espressos before church or before we sit down with our Bibles at home? That's not going to work. We might get so like, hyper-focused, that we can't pay any attention to what we're hearing anyway. Plus, we'll look like these people. You know, I think a better idea is to remove as many distractions as we can and pray and ask God to help us to understand, help us to focus as we read his word and study it and hear it. Maybe have one coffee if you're falling asleep, <laughs> not four. Now, the last thing John notes to confirm his valid witness is that his hands touched him. His hands touched Jesus. He's directly contradicting what the Gnostic heretics said. You know, the false teachers who had gotten their ideas creeping into the church. One thing that they believed was that Jesus couldn't possibly have been a real man because they thought that all matter, not just all flesh, but all matter in general, was evil. And so anything solid that you could touch was evil, so Jesus couldn't have been a man. And so they had this idea that he either was like a, a spirit the whole time, you know, that he was here, he was just a, an apparition of some sort, or that uh, the spirit came upon a man at, at the baptism of Jesus and left before, right before he died. You know, that was another idea that the Gnostic church, uh, not, not Gnostic church, the Gnostic believers had. So obviously complete, like, hogwash. It contradicts everything that we know from scriptures about Jesus. And really, it, it negates the source of our salvation, right? That Jesus came 
who was fully God, became fully man, and died on a cross to pay for our sins, then rose again, that's central to, to what we believe. And so they've, they've taken, the, the Gnostics had taken this and twisted it so badly that it, it became just something completely different. And so John refutes that right out of the gate. I've touched him. He's real. He's not a ghost. And even Jesus himself said that. In Luke 24, when Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, they thought they were seeing a ghost. But Jesus, in verse 38 and 39, said, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. So they must have deleted that section out of any gospel that they were looking at. You know, they, they weren't really interested in following what the gospel taught. They were interested in their own agenda and pushing this idea that knowledge, like in your head, was like the supreme way to achieve some kind of a spiritual enlightenment. And they wanted to have this inner circle of high and mighty knowledgeable people that they had on a, they're on a different level than everybody else. Their, their belief system was not for everybody, only for the intellectually elite it's funny how people who call themselves intellectually elite could be so foolish, but it's true. I heard someone say it's like today. It's absolutely true. People, people do take things out of Scripture to make it more convenient to them, to make it say what they want it to say. They change the truth. They delete sections that are inconvenient. And so that, that is something that we are still dealing with today. We might not have a bunch of Gnostics around to deal with, but we have plenty of other false teachers, even within churches, people deleting sections of scripture because they don't like them. We're very sternly warned against doing that. <clears throat> Jesus, John touched him after he was resurrected. Not just before, but after. After he was resurrected, Jesus touched him. Jesus ate food in front of them to show that it wasn't just because he was hungry. It was because he wanted them to see that he was real. Now, his body was different than it was before. His body could pass through walls, but his body was solid and real as well. That's a paradox, I know, but it's the kind of body that we're all going to get someday, and that's exciting. Like Pastor Rich was saying, you know, we're all going to get functional bodies with backs that don't give out on us or anything. It's going to be a resurrected back for everybody. So John countered that heresy by saying that he personally touched Jesus before and after his resurrection. He refuted the claims of the Gnostics with his own eyewitness account. And he reminded the church of the truth they had already believed in. So again, he may have been the last apostle left to say, I touched him. I was there. And he wanted to remind them of that. We too are called to be witnesses. You know, we don't have the same testimony that John did. Uh, or Matthew, Mark, Luke. You know, we, we don't, we haven't personally walked around Israel with Jesus, any of us here. Or talked to anybody who did you know, as, as Mark and Luke did. Um, but we do have an account to give of what God's done in our lives. 
You know, we might feel that the apostles have quite the advantage on us, having actually spent those three years with Jesus. Of course, you know, they were blessed to do so. But, again, I'll say, until, it wasn't until after the ascension, when they received the Holy Spirit, that they really understood clearly what Jesus had been saying to them all along. The same Holy Spirit that we have. So in that way, we're even. We all have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told, that, told Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 29, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. Jesus said we're blessed that we've not seen and believed. There's no reason to consider ourselves inferior witnesses for Jesus. Now, we're not all called to be evangelists on the grand scale, you know, where we make thousands of converts as Peter and John did at Pentecost or in later events or like Billy Graham uh, does in stadiums, did in stadiums. But we are all called as witnesses to what God's done in our lives to proclaim the truth boldly and like Amber was saying, you know, we could ask for more boldness because that doesn't come easy for me either. We've received the Holy Spirit just like John and we can proclaim what Jesus is doing in our lives. Warren Wearsby said of this, many people, including some Christians, have the idea that witnessing means wrangling over the differences in religious beliefs or sitting down and comparing churches. That isn't what John had in mind. He tells us that witnessing means sharing our spiritual experiences with others, both by the lives that we live and by the words that we speak. Plain and simple. You know, we may not have heard Jesus speak audibly, but we have heard his words. We have them recorded here. We may not have seen Jesus with our eyes, but we've seen what he's done in our own lives, haven't we? We may not have touched him as the apostles did after he was resurrected, but he's touched us. And we can testify to everything that he's done for us and through us and with us since we came to know him. And we're called to. And we can be just as sure as they were that he's real and alive by the testimony that he's given to us. Now John went on to say in verse 3, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. After proclaiming the good news that he saw, heard, and touched Jesus, John gives the reason why he's proclaiming it beyond that Jesus told him to. He says he's proclaiming it so that you may have fellowship with us. Now how appropriate talking about fellowship when we're about to have that potluck downstairs. Don't worry, I'm not going to keep you here much longer. I want to get some food too. I, I, I mean some fellowship. I want to get some fellowship too. <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing this in for a landing here so we can all get downstairs. But fellowship, John says, that's the goal. That's why he's proclaiming. That's why he's giving this eyewitness account is so that they could have fellowship. He first speaks of fellowship with us, meaning him and other believers, but based on what he says next, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son. Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son. That's the only way that we can have fellowship with each other is if we have fellowship with the Father and His Son. Fellowship is sharing something in common. So if we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, 
then we all have the Father and the Son in common, as we do here. Bible commentator William MacDonald writes of this, The doctrinal foundation of all true fellowship is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he went on to say, All who receive the testimony of the apostles have fellowship with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ, and also with the apostles and all other believers. How wonderful that guilty sinners should ever be brought into fellowship with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And yet that is the very truth which we have here. That's awesome. Pastor Rich, you can reuse that next week if you want to talk more about fellowship. It's only fair. I borrowed the commentary from you that I got that out of. So (laughs) no harm in using it twice. (laughs) You know, in a courtroom appearance, an eyewitness is called to give testimony and prove guilt or innocence of a person on trial. John's testimony and ours, our eyewitness account, has the far greater purpose to lead others into fellowship with God Himself. Jesus died on the cross to restore that fellowship that was broken by our sin. He paid for it. He made peace between us and a holy and righteous God with His blood. And now He asks us to tell people that. Fellowship that we have is a shared and priceless gift. We've all received it. We all have it in common. From the brand new believer to someone who's been walking with the Lord for 80 years. We have God's word. We share that in common. We've all received it. It's written by his chosen eyewitnesses like John. But we're called to be witnesses in our own lives. So let's pray. Lord, we do just thank you for all that we have received, Lord. We thank you for this eyewitness account from John for the words you inspired him to write down by your Holy Spirit. We, uh, we thank you that these are the words of everlasting life. They're your words. And you came and you, you died for us to give us eternal life. You rose from the dead to show that we have it in you. We thank you for that. We thank you for the grace that you give it to us with, Lord. It's just a free gift from you out of your love for us. We thank you. We thank you that you choose to use us to do your work, Lord. You call us to be witnesses as well. And even if we're at times reluctant and nervous and and, uh, don't think we're up to the task, Lord, you tell us to go and tell others about you. And we just pray, Lord, you'd help us to do that. Give us that boldness. Help us to live lives that reflect that we're yours so that we can show other people that there's a difference for us. Thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've done, for everything over all the years that we've all known you, Lord, that you've been with us every step of the way. I pray, Lord, for anyone who who hasn't begun walking with you, Lord, doesn't know you as their Savior, pray that they would turn to you now, accept this eyewitness testimony as the truth, that you would work in their hearts to show them it's real. And if that's you right now, you can just pray with me simply. It's it's easy. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I believe that you came to save me and died on the cross to pay for my sins and then rose again. 
And I want to live my life for you from now on. That's how easy God made it. He did everything for us. And we just need to turn to him and trust him. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you so much. We thank you for the fellowship you've given us, the family that we have here, Lord, and for the food we're about to enjoy, but most of all that you've just made us part of your family. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.